Amen. Amen. Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you have a Bible, would you grab it and open up to Exodus chapter 18? Thrilled that you are here with us. If you are new with us, I want to say welcome. We are thrilled that you're here worshiping with us at Risen Church. If you want to learn more about what it means to get connected with us uh, in the life of the body of the ministry here at Risen, we've got those little QR codes on the back of every chair. They're little stickers. You can use your camera and... uh, Uh, plug that thing in and it will take you to our website and you can find out how to get connected, what's coming up in the life of our church. And if you have a prayer request, uh, you can enter that in that space there and we can be praying for you and we want to follow up with you um, and let you know what's happening here and how we can come alongside you in your faith journey here at Risen Church. But we have been journeying through, if you're new with us, uh, through the book of Exodus. We've been in it for many, many, many weeks. We find ourselves in Exodus 18. Uh, Thus far, the book of Exodus has been like a Jason Bourne movie, right? Anyone, do we still watch those? Or like, if you want to go further back, it's like the Die Hard movies. It is like intense. It's one thing after the next. It begins with this horrible moment. It's the slaughter of children. And you're wondering what's going to happen to this this one Moses who's going to be born. He's going to be, is he going to make it through? And he's rescued and he's saved actually by the enemy that is barreling down. And he's brought up as a prince in the house of the enemy, essentially. And, and then we have this amazing encounter where Moses meets the true living God in a burning bush that is not burned up. And we learn about his holiness. We learn about who God is, what he's like, and what he's calling Moses to do. Uh, we have Moses in the wilderness where he's running a bit from his calling. We have um, Moses coming back to rescue his people out of uh, years and years and years and years and years of slavery and bondage. We have plagues and frogs descending and gnats and all sorts. It's just like one after the next. Then the plague of death happens, the Passover. Then we have um, the parting of the Red Sea. God's people march across millions of people on dry ground. And then God sweeps away and destroys his enemies. This entire Egyptian army is wiped out. God's people are freed from 400 years of bondage and slavery. We have bread raining down from heaven and God providing for them in this desolate wilderness where there's nothing to eat. We have water being provided for through a rock. It's like, whew. It's just been intense, 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 like unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. This is insane. Put your seatbelts on. Jason Bourne to kind of style intensity like happening in this whole book up into this point. And we're about to hit a little bit of a transition. So if it's all been like Jason Bourne style or Die Hard style or whatever the movie the kids are watching these days that is intense like that that I don't know because I don't watch movies anymore. Um, <clears throat> I guess no one does anymore, right? Whatever's on Netflix these days. Um, we change a little bit. We go from Bourne to like Downton Abbey. <laughs> so we're going to see Moses sit down and have a long conversation with his father-in-law. And we're going to see some structure and some uh, leadership decisions being made and some uh, forethought about what are we going to do now that we're a freed people, now that we're a people on the move, now that we know God is protecting us, he's caring for us, how are we going to exist as a people and how are we going to move forward as a people? So it's not bad, it's just different. 
So there's a, there's a bit of a transition that's happening right now. Uh, and here we're going to see, and what I want you to catch and what I want you to know is though we've been going through all these amazing, miraculous things to understand and know the character of God, the holiness of God, the love of God, the protection of God over his people, the demonstration of power of God, uh, we have a bit of a change here, but these are not just throwaway verses. These are not just tune out and don't pay attention here. These are vital passages that are given to us in God's word. Here we have Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, who we met really early on in the book. When Moses flees into the wilderness, he meets Jethro there, and we're reintroduced to Jethro, and Jethro is a priest of Midian. So he's not an Israelite. He does not worship God. He does not worship the God that Moses and his people worship. In fact, as a priest of Midian, he worships other gods, another god. And he would be someone who would actually make sacrifices to other gods. He was not a believer in the one true God. He was a priest of another god who would make sacrifices to this god on behalf of the Midianites. So he's not of the household of faith. And he comes to Moses. Why? Because he has heard word about all that God has accomplished. He's hearing all the things that Moses' God is doing on behalf of his people and the power and how he's saved them and how he's rescued them. And he wants to hear more about all that's transpired. And so here's we pick, this is where we pick up. Exodus 18, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, say a few things, and then we'll read uh, the second half of 18 and unpack some application for us. Exodus 18. The conversation that Moses has with his father-in-law. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, and had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other, Elizer, for he, said, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he had sent word to Moses, I your father-in-law Jethro, and coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their welfare, and they went into the tent. And then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that have come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because of this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. Now verse 12, it's a beautiful picture of salvation. And Jethro, 
Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Or it could be another translation, to eat bread with Moses in the presence of God. So there's something bigger going on under the surface that we're seeing here. There's something amazing that's happening that God has said early on, if you remember, as we've been journeying through this book, that God said that the judgment of Egypt would come down and all the nations would know and hear that he is the Lord, that he is the one true God, that he is the God to be feared, he is the God to be worshipped, he is the God in control of creation and the cosmos, that he is the maker that he is the creator, that he is the sustainer, that he is the one true God. Through the plagues, he demonstrated that, and through his care for his people, he has shown himself to be trustworthy and true. He is the Lord, and this is happening. Word is getting out. The story of this great God caring for his people, delivering his people out of bondage is beginning to trickle out, so much so that Jethro in the wilderness is hearing of all of this. And he wants to get firsthand story of all that, God, all that God is doing in the midst of the Israelites. So we see this promise is being fulfilled that we read about earlier in Exodus. Last week, the Amalekites see it. They, they see all that God is doing. They hear all that God is doing. And Michael did a great job of unpacking. But they respond with violence. They hear that there is this God who's on the scene who is doing all of these things and they respond by taking up a sword against God and saying, I will show him. They respond by shaking a fist at God and they respond with, with violence. They don't bow down and worship this God. They respond by shaking a fist at God. But here in Exodus 18, the very next chapter, we see another response to the news, uh, the good news, if you will, of God moving on behalf of his people, saving and rescuing a people, leading and guiding a people, being present with a people. And we see someone come, not raise a fist at God, but come saying, tell me more about this God. Um, and we see the response of Jethro after Moses tells him of the story of who God is, what God has done, how he's delivered them, how he has saved them, how he's been with them every step of the way. And Jethro responds by saying, surely there are no other gods at all besides this God. He responds in belief. And then he responds in worship, in the presence of God. It says they break bread. The, the elders come and they share a meal and they praise God for all that he has done. A Midianite priest hears the news of the movement of God, the care of God, and doesn't respond with violence and saying, I will have my way and I will not have the way of this God. He responds with belief in the presence of God he finds himself in. Isn't that beautiful? And church, this continues, the same idea continues to this day. We have people in this room of vastly different backgrounds. All of, we have former legalists, we have former um, Baptist church kid camp, camp kids, we've got 
uh, people that used to do drugs and have all sorts of things in their past, that ran from God, that ran after other things and the things of the world. And God, in his power, in his majesty, is bringing people together through the good news of his saving work, and he's grafting people into the very family of God on what he is doing in his power, in his nature, in his goodness and grace that is being poured out on a people that are vastly different. What do we all have in common right here? Though we have all these different stories, though we have all these different backgrounds, though we've all experienced different things, we are recipients of the grace of God. We're recipients of the grace of God. We're all vastly different, but God is grafting us together into a people of God through the good news of his work that he's accomplished. That is what's happening in Exodus 18. And that is what's happened to you and I when someone shared the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus who rescued you from certain death through his uh, saving work and has grafted you into the family of God and now you are considered to be a son or daughter and you heard and rather than raise a fist at God and reject him and run away from him, you received by faith and believed and you were a worshiper of the one true God. God still works that way today, just like he did back then with Moses sharing all that God had done in his midst with his people. And we celebrate. We celebrate today. We sing these songs today, holy, 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 joining with the angels around the throne room because we, church, because of the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he has, is risen and reigning at the right hand of God, interceding for us to God on our behalf, we're, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we see a little window and snapshot of that in Exodus 18. Salvation. See, all of us were born with the gene to raise a fist at God, like we read about last week. But the gospel, when we hear the good news, when we hear the work that God is doing, that he's came down and he transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness, that we no longer have to raise a fist, that he pours out on you life and mercy, we can worship him because our beloved son and our good God is there fighting our battles for us. And the reality of the two responses that we see in Exodus 17 and 18 that we've looked at these last couple of weeks is the reality that we live in today. There are two kingdoms at play. There's those that raise their fist at God, say, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to go your way. I don't want to have anything to do with your people. In fact, I am against all that you are saying to me. And I want to go my own way. I want to figure out my own, my, my, my own path. And I'm going to run after these things that satisfy my needs rather than run after that which you have called me to. There's that kingdom, and then there's the kingdom of the good news of all that God has done, and we receive him and believe him by faith, and we're counted in the family of God. Those two kingdoms are still at play today, and there's not a third option. There's not like a middle ground where you can sort of play both sides. And you can say, well, I'll just be a fence rider and I'll have one foot over here and one foot over there. The gospel doesn't give us that option. And so Jethro responds in faith. 
And here's the beautiful thing when we, when we see this. Right after this, from here, Jethro uh, is a believer in God. He worships God. He worships in the presence of God with the elders, with Moses, after a response and belief about the one true God. And he doesn't just march back home and say, okay, great, cool. I'm just going to go back to my old way of life. I'm just going right back to whatever I did before. Cool, I got saved. Uh, that was a neat moment. Uh, thank you that I was, I was shown the one true God. And now I'm just going to go back over here. And case closed, you're never going to hear from me again. No, he responds because of the, the, his belief in who God is. He responds now by wanting to care for and love the people of God that he's now counted among. He begins serving the people of God. And apparently, this Midianite priest who is in the wilderness, in the desert, is an organizational leadership guru, right? There's a whole, that you can, there's a whole like TED talk in here somewhere. I don't know how, uh, so one of you that's good at uh, organizational leadership TED talks, you could, you could farm this out. This is amazing. It's like, wh- where did this come from? So he looks at Moses, his son-in-law, And he sees this guy that has gone through all the things I just talked about at the very beginning, all these crazy moments, all these parting of the Red Sea, the plagues. He's leading his people out. People are grumbling. People are saying, Moses, are you trying to kill me? Moses uh, keeps listening to God, following God in spite of all the criticism he gets. And the people are thriving. They're being provided for. God is leading them. And Jethro looks at Moses and hears all that has happened and says, what you're doing is not good. All that God has done is very good. But if you keep doing this, this is not good. Like this is one man show. Moses, you're trying to do it all. And you cannot sustain like this. You are going to burn out. And you are going to uh, not be able to fulfill all that God is wanting to do in and through you. And so Jethro, his father-in-law, organizational leadership guru, gives him a little TED talk right here. Right? That was funny. I appreciate the laugh, Michael. All of them. It's just you and me. They don't get it. That was a great pastor joke. I was making connections with the culture. They don't get it. They don't know how hard this is. So Jethro sits him down. He's like, you're going to burn out, Moses. He says, you need to appoint leaders. You need some leadership structure. You need help. You need good help. And here's how you do it. Verse 13. Here we go. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses, his father-in-law, said to him, what you are doing is not good. That's bold. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. 
Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which you must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate bribes. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, and any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure And all this people also will go their place in peace. In other words, Jethro looks at all that's happened. He hears the story of God rescuing his people. He sees Moses leading. He sees Moses interceding. He sees uh, all of these people coming to Moses for all these needs and all these things that are happening. And Moses is doing his best from sun up to sun down to be a good leader to these people as he's led them out of all that they have ever known in this place of the wilderness as God is providing. And Jethro says, you are not meant to carry this burden alone. You cannot do this alone. Um, This is true in Exodus 18. And this is true today. This is true in the New Testament where we see a very similar passage in Acts Chapter 6, when the church is exploding in growth, God is calling more people to him. He is saving and rescuing. The Holy Spirit is going out and saving people. And the Lord is adding to the number day by day those who are being saved. And the church is exponentially growing. And the apostles are realizing they cannot care for everyone in their midst. They cannot get their arms around it anymore. And they don't know how they're going to function. And so what do they do? They call up leaders to help. They call up servants to help. To help do the work of the ministry so that people can be cared for, be loved, be seen, be known, be heard. And it's not all about one person doing all the work and getting burnt to a crisp while they're doing it and not enduring. That's what Jethro was worried about with Moses And in the New Testament, in Acts 6, they knew if this was going to have legs, if we're going to be able to uh, care care for those that are coming to faith in a way that is God honoring, we as the apostles in Acts 6 need to care for them well and appoint leaders to be able to do that well. So they're calling up deacons, servants, elders, church structure. There's a structure that's taking place. Now, a lot of people hear that and like, oh, I don't like structure. Structure's evil. Structure's wrong. Structure's not good. That's what these verses are about. You cannot do this alone. You need to create some structures in place, not so that you can be slave to the structure, so that you can care and love people well. If you've ever read the book, The Trellis and the Vine, anyone familiar with that book or heard of that book, you don't need to read it. I'm just going to tell you what it's about. It's really easy. So it's all about uh, structure and people. So the trellis is the structure, 
And the vine needs a little bit of structure in order to grow on that trellis. Without a trellis, a vine doesn't grow properly and it can't reach its potential. It can't branch out. It can't grow. It can't flower. It can't find the sun. And so a trellis is put in place so that the living organism, the vine, can thrive. And you put out just enough trellis so that the living thing that is to be cared for can grow and thrive. A lot of times, why we are leery of structure is because we, if we are not careful, we will begin to place all of our attention on the trellis. I need the trellis to look like this. I need the trellis to be this certain color. I need the trellis to have all of these bells and whistles. I need the trellis to have like a digital keypad so that it can uh, predict the soil temperature and the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And we forget it's, it's not about the trellis. The trellis is only there to provide enough structure so that the vine can grow. Jethro sees Moses and says, we need some structure, not so that we can be slave to a structure, so that people can be cared for and grow in the Lord. And so that it's not all about you. In the New Testament, in Acts, as the church is growing and people are coming to faith and the church is adding more people and it's outgrowing living rooms and it's spilling out over into different communities of people by faith, we need a little bit of trellis so that people can be cared for and they can reach the sun and they can grow and they can thrive and bear fruit for the Lord. So, practically speaking, um, we're not going to put all of our focus on the trellis, but we do need to make sure the trellis is there and that it's appropriately sized for the care of the people God has entrusted to us. That's what Jethro points out to Moses. You need a trellis that will support the care of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Those are different sized trellises. But the whole idea is that the vine would be cared for. I didn't plan on saying vine and trellis that many times, but it just happened. So there, you don't need to buy the book. You just got the Cliffs Notes. Great book, though. You should buy it. Support the authors. Great Christian folks that wrote that book. Um, so there, And just a little window so you all know, this is what we are doing in the life of Risen Church right now. So the Lord is adding to our number. The Lord is growing our church, and we're grateful, and we praise God for it. Uh, and we, on the, uh, in our leadership teams, are, have taken stock and are realizing our old trellis didn't work and function to care for people the way we want to see them cared for. And so you've heard us, if you've been in our members' meetings, we're rolling out an, a, a deacon structure uh, and raising up deacons and deaconesses that are going to be able to care for and meet the needs and love the people that God is bringing to us so that they can thrive and grow in the knowledge of the wisdom of the truth of God. They can uh, bear fruit in their lives. And we're putting these leaders in place Men and women that can see our people thrive. And so over the course of the next few months, we're going to be training people in God's word in these systems that we're reading about in Exodus 18 and in Acts chapter 6. And uh, in the fall, we're going to be launching these circles of care for members of this local body to be cared for well, to be loved well, to be served, and to nourish and grow so they can grow in their faith. Not so that we can have really great trellises and they're really pretty and they have touch pads, but so that we need a little bit of a different structure so that God's people can grow into all that he's wanted them to grow into. And it's not dependent on a couple of people. 
in charge of it all because ministry is meant to be shared. Exodus 18, shared ministry model. So, um, and why, why did that happen in Acts 6? What, what were they grappling with there? Well, they didn't want to neglect the needs of the body, so they raised up more leaders to meet the needs because they also didn't want to neglect the ministry of the word of God and of prayer. So there were some that were charged with uh, teaching God's people, God's word, being intercessors for them, praying on behalf of the body, and then there was also all of these needs of the body, so the leadership structure needed to grow, just like we see in Exodus 18. Now, as a pastor, <laughs> I've, I've been doing this for about 20 years um, in ministry in some form or fashion, all the way from a junior high youth intern uh, to planting a church to being uh, a teaching pastor, lead pastor, community group pastor, whatever hat that you need to wear, depending on whatever season we're in. And I can sympathize with Moses. Um, a lot, of t- a lot of times you get asked, and I think they're well-meaning people, they're like, well, you just work on Sunday, right? Well, what do you do the rest of the week? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about that. It's like asking a, it's like asking a, a mother of four, like, if she works. Yes, there's endless work. It's never ending. It's people work. And it's like, as a pastor, I can sympathize when I read Exodus 18. It's like from sun up to sun down, there is the needs of the body are always present. Uh, I could go through a list of all the things that uh, pastors do and those that are leading in the church do. I won't bore you with the list. I actually wrote it down. If you want to know later, I'll uh, read that to you, but I'm running out of time. But we're a church of about 370 men, women, and children. You're like, oh, really? There's not that many people here. Yeah, because you all don't come every week. So if you did, it would feel different. (laughs) Side note, we actually can't fit all of you. So that's probably a good thing. But still, please come more regularly than once a month. 370. I, I mean, that's kind of a lot of people. I don't, I mean... It's not humongous. Moses, remember, two million men, women, and children. A nation of people. I feel exhausted with 370. I'm like, there's no way I can, like, ask my wife. I want to quit at least once a month. Seriously. For the last 20 years. You laugh. That's just my, that's my world. Two million people coming to him from sun up to sun down. Jethro's like, you need help. You need help. And he tells Moses here in verses 19 and 20, don't neglect what you're supposed to do. And what is he supposed to do? It's the same as in Acts 6. You are supposed to teach God's people the law of God, the word of God, and you're to intercede for them in prayer as they bring needs that they have. Jethro's like, don't neglect doing that. Look at verses uh, 19 and 20. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God. He's interceding for the people before God. 
and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and you shall make them known the way they must walk. You shall teach them the statutes, statutes, the laws of God, the way of God. You shall be a teacher to the masses of the people that, have, that you're entrusted to lead, and you shall teach them the way of God, and you shall intercede for them. Teaching, praying, don't neglect that, Moses, Jethro is saying. The same thing as in Acts with the apostles. We do not want to neglect the ministry of teaching and prayer because there's endless needs with God's people. But we also don't want to neglect the needs, so we need help. We need help. <clears throat> so Moses, keep instructing God's people. Keep pointing them to God and his word. Keep praying for God's people as you hear of the needs of those entrusted to your care. But what you need is some others around you. And here we see in the following verses what those people are to look like. Thank goodness God doesn't leave anything out for us. We don't have to make it up. He tells us who are the type of people that we are to raise up around us. Exodus 18.21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God. So if we'll stop right there. First of all, it's important that as you serve God, if you're going to serve God in this church, if you're going to serve God anywhere, no matter what church you go to. If you have to move next year, next week, or tomorrow, whatever place you find yourself in, you are called to help serve and be part of a, a, a member of a local body. But it's important you understand the fear of God. If you have a proper fear of God, or there's another translation for the word fear that we have in the Old Testament is awe, like when you're in awe of something, you understand the grandeur of God. It's like when you look at the Grand Canyon or the beautiful mountain. You're in awe. You feel small because you understand the grandeur of what's in front of you. That's a, a fear or an awe of what's in front of you. Same thing with God. When you have a proper awe and fear of God, nothing is below you. You'll serve wherever you're needed because you know you're not serving to benefit yourself and for the praise of your name. You're serving because you know you're serving for the Lord. Um, and you realize the work that he's called you to is not for a position or a platform, but it's to honor the Lord so that he would be glorified and he would receive honor and glory. Those who do not fear God, do not have an awe of God, often don't serve because it doesn't benefit them in some way. It doesn't prop them up. The title isn't there. Um, it's fundamental in serving in the community of faith to have a proper awe of God and understanding what we're doing. We're doing not to bolster anything in of ourselves, but we're serving with open hands, knowing we're working as if we're working for the Lord, and he sees all. So find those that have a fear of God, those who are humble, that are willing to put their hands to anything that is of need. Uh, and then it says, secondly, find those who are trustworthy, that give you no reason to question them, that their lives, their conduct, their character is that of uh, trustworthiness. You don't have to wonder if you're going to uh, give them something or they're going to be uh, stewarded over something or they're going to help serve in some capacity that they're, they're going to mishandle it or they're going to do something of selfish gain or they're just going to drop the ball. They're trustworthy. They're, they're people of their word. 
that they hate a bribe, that they're not in it for money, they're not in it for a position, they're not in it to jockey for themselves some other better thing down the line. So those who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, and of fifties, and of tens. I love this verse. Um, Some are capable of this amount, like Moses, like bigger than a couple of these buildings together. Uh, Some are capable of this. Some in seasons of their lives are capable of this. And some are capable of this. And that's okay. Because God has wired up all kinds of different people to put their hand to the plow, whether you can handle this organizationally with all these different people and part of your team, or you can handle this. Every part is meaningful, and every person is needed. And every person is to play their part. Verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, and any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden for you. So Moses, you are not to give up the responsibility of focusing on prayer and teaching. I want the great matters to be brought with you. If there's something severe, if there's something that is of grave concern, it's going to be brought to you. The small things... The trustworthy servants, those who uh, are God's people, are able to handle these things. So release responsibility so that God's people can be cared for because there's all these people with all of these myriads of gifts, and we can begin to care well for one another as a people of God together, not as a group of people staring at one person to do all the work. Shared ministry. Um, And when that happens... You will see all these people begin to bear this burden with you. Verse 23. If you do this. Here we have an if-then statement. If you do this, God will direct you. And you will be able to endure. And 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 all this people also will go to their place in peace. This is healthy ministry. Moses, if you want to make it to the end, if you want to endure, and you don't want to burn out, uh, you need help. And all the people you're entrusted to care for, if you implement this, they will have shalom, the peace of God in their lives because they're being cared for, they're being loved, they're being seen, they're being known, they're being heard, they're being embraced. You can't do it all. You need help. So shared ministry is to the benefit of everyone. Now, let's bring this home, the few minutes I have left. Uh, The New Testament teaches us that uh, healthy churches, healthy community, healthy spiritual leadership is done in shared ministry models. We, uh, from the top all the way to to the bottom, 
It's not about one person. It's not about a personality. It's not about a platform. It's not about a church name or a person's name or whatever. It's a plurality of leadership so that God's people can be cared for well. We're given, we're given verses about uh, elders and how elders have qualifications. And if you're going to hold the office of elder in the church or pastor in the church, you need to meet these qualifications just like we were given in Exodus 18. If you're going to be one that is going to be in this plurality of leadership, you need to meet these qualifications. It's not just anyone. We need to be trustworthy, faithful, and their character competencies, their character things, so that you can lead well as a godly leader. And uh, elders then are in charge of not doing all the ministry for the people, but they're in charge of empowering the people to do the ministry that God has called us to do. And then elders raise up and appoint deacons and deaconesses who begin to serve the body and love the body, and that trickles down, and there's enough trellis so that all the vines can grow up and bear fruit in a way that is beautiful and healthy and it's shared amongst a plurality of leadership. The job description of elders is found in Ephesians 4, 11, and it's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So I don't know what kind of church maybe you grew up in, but uh, it's not the it's not the guy who's standing up here, whoever it might be, if it's Michael, if it's me, if it's Brett, if it's any of the other elders that preach here, uh, to do all the work for you, that we would dispense religious goods and services. It is that we would teach and proclaim the good news of who God is through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then equip those who have part of our care to work that out in their spheres of influence, family, community, and we would see the body grow into the fullness of all that he's called us to to equip the saints, and we would raise up leaders and deacons who have the character qualities that we, just like we see in Exodus 18, trustworthy, not lovers of money, able to lead and teach. These are things that we read about in the New Testament. I could preach a whole other sermon on. Sometimes I get asked this question, are you the lead pastor at Risen? No, I'm not. Well, is Michael the lead pastor? No. Was well, like Brett or is there some other guy or Daniel or Andrew or are they the lead pastors? No. Jesus. I know that's really cheesy. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He, the word tells us that in First Peter. Jesus is the lead pastor of this church. I am, I am not Moses in this example. Jesus is the one who appoints and calls up and gives care. I've just been entrusted with helping teach and helping proclaim the goodness of God through his word, interceding and praying for and meeting the needs of the body. I'm just one of the helpers. I'm a door holder in the kingdom. Whatever God asks me to do, I want to do it well. But Jesus is the lead. He's the chief shepherd. And we are under shepherds of the chief shepherd. So our job as elders who lead in a plurality in this church is to take our cues and to take our... uh, and to take the, the following and leading of the Lord Jesus Christ and that which he's given to us in his word and to implement the blueprints that have already been provided for us in the word of God and try to do it faithfully. And the reason it's not just up to one person, because on the weeks that I want to quit and leave, I have brothers around me that can hold me up and be like, no, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And let's do this together. And it shared ministry is a beautiful thing. 
And we're going to continue to walk in that. And then when we're going to roll out deacons and we're going to roll out these new circles of care and structure, those are shared ministry models where people can feel cared for and loved and served for the good of one another, for the glory of God. So we have one senior pastor, and his name is Jesus, and he's the only pastor of church that will never let you down. He's the only one who will always be there for you. Um, we do not, church, I want to tell us this because we are so prone to this in our culture, and it may not be at this church, but it may be something in your life. We don't place our hope in a single person. We place our hope in Christ. He is our chief shepherd and elders and deacons and all these other structures that God provides to us in his word. Uh, we are under the authority. You are under the authority of the chief shepherd and we're to just represent Christ to each other and to our community. This is the foundation of church government. Shared leadership for the purpose of caring well for the members of this body. Galatians 2 Paul says that we are to bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. Doesn't that sound familiar? Exodus 18. You're to help. All these people are going to help you bear this burden because you cannot do it alone. Galatians 2. We're to bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, as we all have a ministry here, we fulfill the law of Christ together. We do what God has called us to do together in plurality. So, I know we looked at a lot. Um, the very beginning, just to bring it home, tie a quick bow on it. If we're going to be a healthy ministry, looking at Exodus 18, we need to be people that have a shared gospel witness. That when a Jethro comes into our midst, when you meet that person in your community or in your family, maybe it's your father-in-law, maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your neighbor, that we would be able to share the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, of all the work he's done. And by his spirit, we will see people come to faith. And then when they're added to our fold, as we, as God's people, are gospel witnesses to the story of God, the good news of the gospel, we, and our church grows, we are to all have a ministry here. As a member of the body of Christ, if you are a member of the body of Christ here, you are to be a servant and you're to help share the load, to bear the burden of all that God wants us to do and do it well for our good and for his glory. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even in verses that talk about structure and talk about um, shared leadership, God, that you speak clearly to us, that you give us the blueprints that we are to follow in. And so, God, I pray for us as Risen Church. Lord, would you help some of us here today that haven't taken that next step of uh, being a member of the body of Christ, would you give them that desire to want to take the next step and say, I want to be counted among the family of faith here. And then, Lord, I pray that as you continue to bring more people into this local body as members of the body of Christ, would you give all of us the desire to want to serve one another for your glory and for our good? Lord, whether that is setting up a chair on Sunday morning, holding an infant in the back room, sharing the gospel with teenagers, 
being a part of this praise team that declares the goodness of who you are in song, pushing slide buttons, helping uh, counsel young married couples, the myriad of things, God, that you are doing in our midst, would you raise up more servant leaders to help bear the burden in doing so, God, may we be able to fulfill the law of Christ among us. We trust you're at work. Give us wisdom. Give us courage to walk in that which you've called us in. And in doing so, Lord, may we see people grow and may we see fruit born for your glory. In Christ's name.